Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the another exciting episode of the Grizzly Talk podcast. I am your host, Kennedy Patterson, y'all. Welcome back to the podcast for sure. Now, we have quite a few things to talk about here on the podcast show, so hopefully you guys are ready for it. I know I am, you know, being back in front of the mic in front of you guys, and I know it's quite exciting, to say the least, because there's a lot, and I do mean a lot, that's going around with GGC nowadays. But you guys know, I woke up in my home, I woke up, and my phone was off the ring. It was buzzing all morning because they, I mean, we, we're having a lot of events coming up this month of October. Uh, by the way, happy first of the, well, happy October month. I mean, it's not really the first anymore, but happy October month. This month is particularly one of my favorite months because it is the start of fall, and it's just something quite exciting because I love fall, y'all. There's one thing you guys may have not noticed about this. My favorite season is fall because I like the fall weather. I like the fall tones, and it's just it's very, very amazing. So let's get on to the announcements. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Amway Smartwatch. Go to the KLPU store right now. Go to our recommended buyers catalog, and you'll see the Yamway smartwatch. Click that link so that way you can continue shopping today. And they're now offering free shipping for that item. So I really recommend that we're offering free shipping via Amazon for that. So shout out to them. Now, let's get on to the fun stuff. You guys saw the Grizzly Flash news. There's something else that we're starting for our platform of our Instagram at Grizzly underscore talk. All you guys got to do is follow us at Grizzly underscore talk. They have the customized teddy bear October 13th. That is a Tuesday, next Tuesday, 12 to 2, the second floor lounge in the student center presented by the Green Lights Activities Board. And of course, they have more things to come. Of course, game night presented by Green Light and Level One Game Room virtually October 15th, 6 to 9, virtually on Zoom. So I think that's going to be a very awesome event. And let's not forget, of course, October 14th, that is a Wednesday, 7 p.m. They're going to be premiering the movie Bad Boys for Life, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence movie. Uh, very, very exciting. They have a lot of good things coming up for Greenlight Activities Board. So shout out to them um, because they're doing this, you know, these events, you know, they're starting out for October. I don't think I really saw them, except for the, the sign, the, uh, the street signs. I don't think I ever saw Greenlight perfect another event this year and it's hard you know I'm not shaming them for that because it is hard to do an event where it's COVID-19 it's trying to stay six feet apart so of course you guys can vote for GGC's homecoming today Uh, of course elections they'll have a link description uh, in their email so please be sure to check up on their emails of course they have quite a few people that are on the homecoming um boards of course you have two guys and two girls on the court for homecoming king and queen so please go out and vote today vote your favorite candidates uh between now and then vote will end at 12 p.m on the 12th of october so please be sure to go out and do that before the green lights movie on the line before their their before green lights premiering bad boys for life so again go out there and vote your homecoming queen today. Of course, they have the virtual fall fair and graduate school fair is next week or this coming week rather, October fifteenth. 
Well, that's going to be this coming week, 12 to 3 p.m. Of course, the virtual fall job and graduate school fair is next week. Don't do not miss the opportunity. Uh, do not miss out on the opportunity to meet with recruiters. Excuse me, one on one in group meetings. Uh, check out a few of the recruiters attending. Of course, you got Birchville Foods, Pruitt Health, Star Asian International, Coker University, South University, and Nova Southern Eastern University. Of course, you guys can go through that email. You can register to uh, attend the meeting and attend the virtual fair. Uh, it's going to be very, very exciting. Again, this is a grand opportunity. If you guys are looking for fall jobs or graduate school after you're done with GGC, this is an event. It gives you all the key elements on all the all the things that you need to join this fair. So I really recommend you guys going out there and uh, doing that for sure because, you know, it, it's, it's a lifetime. It's once in a lifetime opportunity where you can meet one-on-one with recruiters and you can really get into a great company. That's how I kind of did it with some of the jobs that I've had. Uh, I've attended one of these events before. So I really recommend you guys going out and doing that for sure. Now, of course, next Monday, I want to say it is Monday, October 12th, if I'm not mistaken, it's National Coming Out Day celebration, of course, whether you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or an ally, be proud of who you are and you support the LGBTQ equality this coming out day. Of course, join us for music, free food, ice cream, and giveaways Monday, October 12th, 2020 at the Student Center Plaza from 12 to 2 p.m. Of course, we'll be talking about this grand event. They've had so many good things coming out for this. Of course, uh, of course, they're doing the LGBT uh, safe space training Monday from 4 to 6 on Microsoft Teams. Of course, Gold Series, LGBT safe training uh, by Dr. Uh, Meg Evans, uh, program director of Breakaway. Again, that's going to be starting at 4 p.m. at Microsoft Teams on uh, of course, that that following day, of course, to register for the Gold Series, they'll have the link uh, description in the email. So that way you guys can get enrolled with that. So I really recommend you guys go out there and do your thing. Of course, uh, that Wednesday on the 21st, 430 to 6 p.m., of course, resume hats where career service doesn't tell you when you apply for jobs. The facilitator, Michael White, will be facilitating this event as well. So do not miss out. On that grand event. Now, a little bit of news announcements coming from GGC Athletics. Of course, if you guys didn't hear about it yet, of course, Beyond the Glory podcast is coming back, and it's it's good to see that they're coming back with their podcast. Um, you know, I always like a good friendly competition. You guys saw um, a couple days ago, I've done a production with Mr. Matt Mahoney. So, uh, Mr. Matt Mahoney, if you're listening to our podcast, I am calling you out, my friend. Who will have the best podcast? Would it be the Grizzly Talk podcast or Beyond the Glory podcast? A little friendly competition for you guys for sure. So I really recommend you guys do that. Um, it's going to be awesome. It really is awesome. Now, more news announcements coming to one of my favorite professors, Dr. Welsker. She was my uh, economics professor. She was a very good professor. Uh, she has an email. So I wanted to help spread the word for the GDC environment. Hello, SBA students. With the fall 2020 semester officially halfway over and final exams are scheduled the week before Thanksgiving, it is time to start planning for spring 2020. So I'm talking to the GGC community who will be advocating for the spring of 20, uh, I want to say spring of 2021. Uh, looks like 
she might have meant spring 2021 in her email says spring 2020 that already had passed but spring of 2021 is around the corner and you know unfortunately i won't be doing much podcasting for the school because again i'll be graduating for sure but um just a little announcement for you guys uh, by now, your primary advisor should have contacted you. If not uh, not sure who your advisor is, check your degree words, and all of that will be listed for your primary advisor and your mentor. Uh, please be sure to make appointments for sure uh, with your assigned advisor sooner rather than later. Uh, let me tell you guys, go ahead and get with your advisor now. If you, if you are planning on attending spring 2021, go ahead and meet with your advisor now because Things have changed due to COVID-19 and you do not want to wait super late into meeting your mentor and to really be late in the game for registering for your classes for that next semester. So I really recommend for all of you guys go out there and email your mentor and your or your advisor now because you can help. They can help you plan. Now, again, back when I was a junior, back when I was a sophomore and freshman, way back when, you know, it was (laughs) it was. I procrastinating meeting my advisor and, you know, I learned to not do that because I was late in the game, registered for classes back in sophomore year. So take it from me, from some, from someone who've, uh, who've, who've been in there. Don't, don't wait too late. That's all I got to say on that. Do not wait too late. Of course, news announcements coming from the vice president of student engagement and success introducing uh, circle, circle in. Of course, uh, they say, hello, Grizzly family. I have amazing news. This fall semester, you will have access to Circle In, an easy, uh, it's an easy to use study app to uh, that instantly connects you with all of your classmates. Circle In offers a variety of student features all in one place that will help you stay productive and pass your class. You'll be able to create and review flashcards, generate quizzes, share notes, and chat with your classmates to get on-demand help and so much more. Here's the cool part. Circling is, is a game base that means, uh, excuse me, which means that more you study and collaborate with classmates, the more points you'll be able to earn. These points matter because you'll be able to get awesome rewards like Amazon Best Buy gift cards and even scholarships. Again, Amazon Best Buy gift cards and even, hear me now, even scholarships. So I really recommend you guys go out there for sure if you haven't um, downloaded or got this app or this game-based app just for studying and collaborating. You get all of those. The scholarships, they go a long way. I've had a couple, uh, quite a few scholarships in my day. Uh, I've applied to many, many scholarships, not only for GGC, but other uh, colleges before I attend GGC. So it, it, they go a long way. Uh, think of it as an app that helps you uh, helps you and rewards you for being a great student and wraps you around the community of support. Of course, there's going to be a web. There's an app, of course, app.circleinapp.com. Download that app and you will enter your credentials and select authorized and you'll be all set. This thing is mobile, so you guys can get it, download it, the app on your mobile phone. We're all on our mobile phones most nowadays. And, of course, you open the app, search the GGC uh, College Select tab. And, of course, your D2L login page will uh, open up. Enter your credentials for your D2L and you'll be authorized and you'll be all set and ready to go for this grand, grand app. So I really recommend you guys going out there, downloading this app, because it really is something that can help you throughout your whole college career. I wish they had something like this starting in 2015. Uh, Of course, technology gets more developed over a period of time, but this would have been really cool in 2015. Um, So start now. 
this is going to be something that is going to be very, very, very quite interesting uh, for you guys out there. And I really want you guys to go out there and do this um, for if you're freshmen, sophomores, and even juniors can go out and get this to help them pass their classes within uh, the next maybe a couple years that they might have at GGC. So I really recommend you guys going out to do that. Now, before we wrap up here, of course, we like to do our shout outs. Of course, now our shout out is kind of going towards what we've talked about earlier today. They have some very fun events coming out. I really like the customize the teddy bear event. So shout out goes out to Greenlight Activities Board for doing such great work for these next three events to come out later on this uh, week. Go out to these events, show the support love for GGC community and the GGC activities board. Please be sure to follow us on our Instagram, Grizzlies underscore talk. That is our broadcast media uh, production uh, Instagram. Please be sure to listen to our radio station at GTP 94.6, where we have many, many shows streaming on Spotify, our heart radio, Pandora, and now Amazon music. And don't forget to ask. And I be quiet because I do have Alexa in the studio. But don't forget to ask Alexa, Alexa <laughs> to open the Grizzly Talk podcast so that way you guys don't miss us audio version. Maybe you might be cooking or you might be studying and you want to listen to a good podcast, but you want to step away from your phone. If you have an Echo uh, Amazon Alexa uh, Echo Dot, you just open that app and we're there. So please be sure to listen to us for sure. We're expanding our network 22 countries. Get this, y'all. Over 22 countries worldwide. That are listening to the Grizzly Talk podcast for sure. So that's going to wrap it up here on the Grizzly Talk podcast for this week. Stay tuned tomorrow afternoon as we come back for more podcasting news and announcements for the Grizzly Talk podcast. This has been the Grizzly Talk podcast with your host Kennedy Patterson. Stay safe and go Grizzlies.
Hey, everybody, welcome back into the pod. We got a good one here. I think you're going to enjoy it. Everything tied to what decisions went down, why they went down, some scuttlebutt, some rumors, what to expect, what might change. Got a good pod for you here. And by the way, if you're digging this kind of stuff, like what you're going to listen to Paris and I talk about for the next 45 to 50 minutes, if you have not already, please go and rate and review and leave a leave a good comment, a funny comment. Leave a question over at Apple Podcasts. We want to keep those reviews coming in. Tell a friend and... I'm going to try and get GP to do a couple of uh, kind of listener-submitted either segments or an outright episode coming up in, in September and October. Have a little bit of fun with it. We've got some good questions in the can, but I want to get another good – I want to flood the zone and get a lot more in. So if you haven't done it already and you're digging the pod, please, if you could be so kind, uh, do so and uh, send GP a note. Tell him you love him. Also, the U.S. Open, it's here. It starts Thursday at Wingfoot. The first Cut Golf podcast is incredible. If you are a golf fan and you are not already subscribed to it, I promise you, if you enjoy this pod, you will enjoy that one. They're going to have preview episodes, round-by-round recaps. If you're into betting on golf, it's going to have everything with DFS analysis and all that. So first Cut Golf podcast on CBS Sports. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And earlier today, college basketball got an official start date for the 2020-21 season. It is November 25th, otherwise known as the day before Thanksgiving. Norlander, I was on radio when the news broke. You handled the reporting. So I guess the best thing is to just turn it over to you. Explain to folks first, if you can, why it's November 25th instead of, say, November 10th or November 21st or some other day in between. Yeah, let's get into the good stuff right away here. Um, So, yes, November 25th is the intended start date for the college basketball season. And the oversight committees, as I previously reported, had suggested that this go to November 21st, and that was the formal recommendation sent to the D1 Council last Friday, five days ago. However, um, I was told, and I want to be clear in how I uh, share this information, I talked to Dan Gavitt on the record earlier today, and I'll have a story, a Q&A that you can read with a lot of stuff about why we're here and what's next and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what I'm about to share with you, I never discussed with Dan Gavitt in any kind of regard. This is just my info gathering and what I think happened here today. So as I understand it, Dan Gavitt uh, was one of a few important people that was really adamant about having the season start on November 25th. And then the oversight committee, as is its power to do, looked at everything, considered all the MTEs, the multi-team events, and said, you know what, with so many of these starting on November 23rd and a couple actually starting, scheduled start on November 21st, we think it would be best to bump up the season by about four days, get it done on November 21st, and and just use that runway toward the rest of uh, the rest of Thanksgiving week, including Maui Invitational, et cetera, et cetera. Well, wouldn't you know, GP, the D1 Council met today, and the D1 Council, for those that aren't familiar, Familiar, one representative from all 32 leagues that have Division One men's and women's basketball. And I don't know why it got to this point specifically, but we are at November 25th. I mean, I know one reason. Gavin told me on the record. November 25th, they estimate 76% of campuses will have all of their entire student bodies off campus on November 25. As opposed to November 20 and 21, it is 43%. And making these decisions for health and safety reasons is the first and foremost reason for doing this. Also significant to me, the November 21 date never made sense at all because that's a Saturday. We will have college football and we will be leading into an NFL Sunday. You have Wednesday now, 
November 25, if we can start then, you have a day to yourself. There will be no NFL. There will be no college football. There will be no NBA. There will be no NHL. There will be no pro baseball. The only major American sport that will be played on Wednesday, November 25th this season will be college basketball. And that in and of itself, I think, is a positive upshoot. So uh, I'll toss it back to you, GP, for any reaction or further questions. But why are we here? Why November 25? Those are the initial reasons. And there was some noise leading up to today, last night, into this morning that that November 21 day wouldn't necessarily for sure hold. There was even speculation that the Big Ten deciding to do what it did today as well, return October 24, might have college basketball say, why don't we just keep the November 10 day for now and see what we can do? But there's a lot of logistical things for why that's not the case. But here we are. 1125, 70 days from when we record this podcast, GP. If all goes well, that's when the season will begin. Um, it seems pretty clear to me the reason they settled on November 25th isn't about competition with football or anything else as much as it's about what you referenced, which is um, you have a significantly lower number of students on campus if you just wait those four days because of the Thanksgiving break. And, you know, you, you, it, it just it's, it's totally rooted in common sense. The fewer people on campus, the less likely you are to have an outbreak. So I do think that decision was rooted in in safety precautions. But um, the byproduct of that, no matter what the motivation was, is that you do start on a more reasonable day because you're exactly right about launching your season in direct competition with college football. It's just a mistake. Do you remember when they used to start on Fridays? Yeah, man. And it was, unless you were, it it was pointless. Right. Yes. Yes. Totally ridiculous because you, you start your season on a Friday. There's maybe two good games, maybe two good games. And then what happens? By the time people wake up on Saturday morning, it's college game day, your folk SEC game, mid-afternoon, primetime stuff. Sunday, you got the NFL. And by the time you get to Monday, which is sort of like the talk radio window, nobody's looking back at a Friday night non-league game between Auburn and Oregon. It's all football, football, football. So they intelligently decided to move the start of the season a few years back to Tuesday. And that was perfect because you, you're you not competing with high school football. You're not competing with high, you know, high school football on Friday, college football on Saturday, NFL on Sunday, Monday night football, Tuesday, it's all you. And when we, we started doing it with the Champions Classic, perfect way to start the season. So um, I don't think that was the driving force here. The driving force was 925, I mean, 1125. There's fewer people on campus. It's a safer place to start. But the you know one of the good things that comes with that line of thinking is that you we will launch this season presumably if it goes off as scheduled now we will launch this season on a more reasonable day to maximize exposure attention everything else Without a doubt. And listen, if we can start on that date, I think it's got potential uh, for, to be a really great day for college basketball but I mean there's so much connected to what we had happen here GP you know <laughs> I will tell you this. I mean, there was there was high confidence this morning and yesterday and Monday that the 
teams playing in your Maui Invitationals and any notable MTE that was really scheduled to start Monday, November 23rd, that that, that the 21st was going to hold or that the 23rd would be the date. They weren't thinking they would go back to the 25th. And it's not that those events won't get played. It just it further throws a wrench into the schedule because now you're going to bump it back. Are you going to play those on the 25th now? Just bump it back a couple of days. If you do that, um, there is a bit of a domino effect with these other teams having other non-conference games that are going to be scheduled end of November, early December. Um, And I'll get to that in just a second. Let me just quickly tick off what else was decided and what was not decided on Wednesday by the D1 Council because this was a scheduled four-hour meeting that went 30 minutes over, so they couldn't even still get to everything they absolutely wanted to get to. But here's what you need to know. The maximum allowable games for college basketball this season is now down from 31 to 27. It is only 27 games if you play in an MTE, which many teams do, but some teams don't, and you can have 27 And then it depends on if you're a three-game or a two-game MTE. If it's a three-game like a Maui, then you get 24 other games total. So let's just use a complete hypothetical right now. Let's say you're listening to this podcast and you're a fan of North Carolina. North Carolina is scheduled to play in the Maui Invitational, which is obviously going to get played. We just don't know where and in what format and what on what exact days now. But North Carolina, if it plays in the ACC and the ACC ultimately decides all right, you know what? We're going to stick with the 20-game conference schedule for this season. That means North Carolina will only have four other opportunities to play non-conference games because three of them are taken up by the Maui Invitational. Well, one of those is the CBS Sports Classic, which you and I both believe they're going to still try and pull off some way, somehow. I don't see why that wouldn't happen. But then North Carolina's got a lot of decisions to make about what games it can and cannot do. It introduces a lot of of thorniness about how college basketball can get this non-conference schedule off the ground to some sort of uh, accessible and successful degree. I'll push that for the second half of the podcast. Another thing, minimums. 13 games against Division I opponents right now is the minimum threshold a team must have in order to be eligible to make the NCAA tournament. In a normal year, it's just 50% of the allowable um, games here, so now we have 13. That shouldn't be an issue. This also means the actual start date for college basketball's preseason comes on October 14th. If you want to get into countdowns, keep that in mind. Uh, We also have a recommendation but not a mandate that all teams play at least four non-conference games. The reason this is a strong recommendation is obviously there's scuttlebutt out there that there may be some conferences that decide to look at the situation in our country with coronavirus near their campus in their communities and say we are not comfortable or maybe some individual schools will say we are not comfortable with playing non-conference games as early as November 25th you talk to us you know the week after Christmas maybe the situation is different but because of that If they go league only, it's going to create some wild scenarios with college basketball, tournament resumes, who played non-con, who didn't, and that's just to be figured out down the road. But they want teams to play non-conference games if they possibly can. There's a couple other tertiary things we don't need to get into, the minutia of it on this podcast here. But what was not decided that I was told would be decided, they just didn't get to it today, is we don't know how many times a week teams are going to have to be tested. And that is a big detail parish because the testing costs a lot of money and conferences and schools, they can't afford that right now. And so that that maker is going to have to be met eventually. But that hasn't been decided. I would expect three times a week is going to be the standard, but that uh, is yet to be officially voted in. And we don't have the stuff that's also going to mean a lot in terms of, okay, on game days, it's this COVID protocol, A, B, C, D, and E, and other potential protocols that might come into play with MTEs and trying to establish venues that technically meet certain standards. And that's going to be a little bit of a mess as well. So we haven't gotten there. So 
That is what was decided today. When I asked Gavitt, I asked him, like, right now, you got a date, but, like, do you think the season is on pace, ahead of pace, behind pace of, like, what you'd like it to be? And he said, well, no, it's, it's unfortunately, it's undeniably behind pace. I mean, normally we'd be starting practice in less than two weeks from now. We're doing our best. This was a big day, but there's still so much work to do. And he was quick to remind and say, listen, we hope that November 25th is going to be the date. But let it be clear here that everyone is prepared to have that not be the case if we can't assure testing and the health and safety at levels that we hope will be there but are not there yet. And also college football, he didn't say one is going to be linked to the other. I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast, but we got to hope that we look up in the middle of October parish and we haven't had a situation where like half the SEC games, a third of the Big 12 games, two Clemson games get postponed. Like that stuff will have an impact if college basketball can get off the ground in time. It's not going to be directly tied to it, but it's obviously a factor and something that if you can't wait for the season to start listening to this podcast, just keep it in mind. Like root for college basketball or college football to not have these delays because I'll remind you, even though we haven't had a lot of big time programs on television yet, there have been a number of cancellations or postponements already, and that stuff has to be staved off to give college hoops its best start as starting the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Right. I um, As far as testing, my understanding is that the NCAA will have guidelines, but not protocols um, when it comes to just playing your season. Like the SEC will have standards, and the ACC will have standards. But those might not be the same as, you know, the Southern Conference or the uh, Summit League. And so this is primarily when I talk to coaches, why some of the high major leagues, the ACC most notably, do not want to play non-league games because they don't believe that a smaller conference is going to have the money to test at the level that they are going to consistently test. In fact, earlier today, I talked to a mid-major coach and he just was completely candid. He said, he mentioned one school and he said, because he had talked to somebody who, who's, who coaches at this high major school. He said, that school is spending $70,000 a week. I mean, maybe a week on its entire athletic department testing. And he said, we can't afford that. Mm-hmm. So when I talked to that coach, that coach's boss doesn't want him playing my guys. So this is going to be a big problem. And the way it gets resolved for the NCAA tournament is that is when the NCAA will take over. Um, And I think it'll be the case for multi-team events. Like, I think the promoters will be in, um, in, in charge of testing and making sure all of that is taken care of to a, um, to a, you know, to an uh, adequate level. But when it just comes to, Hey, uh, Kentucky's supposed to play Austin P this weekend. What's the testing requirements there? I don't think the NCAA is going to get involved in that. And I think it's going to be up to Austin P or its league and Kentucky or its league. And that is why Kentucky might not want to get on a basketball court with Austin P. I think non-league scheduling high majors against low majors, high majors against mid majors. There's going to be, I'm just telling you, and you, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I don't think I'm just telling you, there's going to be real reservations from the high major schools who basically bottom line it this way. We are spending all of this money to test, 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 taking all of these precautions. We are not about to run our team onto a court with a school that we know isn't testing 
to the same level. That's correct. Okay. So a couple things on this. Um, to kind of bring listeners into the realities of a lot of schools and conferences right now, I mean, I've been told that there are certain schools that have literally only been able to test their players twice in like the past seven to eight weeks because that's all they can afford. I was, I, I've been told there's been schools that have been done, have done it once. And that's the, got- I t- the, the coach I talked to today, he's a mid-major coach. He said, we are testing every other week. And that, and for some, that's, that's more frequent. So, yeah. but I, I do want to quote Gavit directly here because I was of the impression that you were, that you just laid out because I basically asked Gavit, Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but right now you have control over the season start date, everything related to the tournament, the game minimums and maximums, and then it's like some other small stuff. But like in terms of like what the D1 Council and, and you and everyone, that's that's it. You don't really have any say over the non-conference season. Like that's just not in your wheelhouse. It's up to schools and conferences to decide. He said, yes, but here's his, his exact quote was, there's also the potential, as there was for full sports, to have medical policies in place, and in this case, testing protocol. We do expect that will be part of this. A requirement of testing per week will be fundamental to all of this. That has not been determined yet, voted on yet, and what remains unclear is if that would specifically tie to the NCAA tournament, GP, as you referenced, or if it would be something that is an outright rule. Like, if you're going to play college basketball, we're going to need you to prove as an NCAA member that you're testing two or three times a week, or if it's going to be a strong recommendation the same way they can't tell teams they got to play four non-conference games this season. They're just going to request that if it's reasonable, you do so. Keep an eye on that going forward because the testing is huge. I talked with the conference commissioner on Tuesday who ran the numbers for me and said he expects to... Right now, it to be in the neighborhood of four to five thousand dollars per week to only test men's and women's basketball teams if you did it three times a week at about twenty five bucks a pop or so, and to be able to do that. You're looking at it through like, okay, is that in our conference season? And then what about our non-conference season? Are we going to need to rely on these MTEs to get some of it done? And then if we're playing another school, like they're going to be able to pick up the bill with our testing. There's so much still to figure out. And I'm glad we kind of wound up at this part of the podcast with discussion, Parish, because today, Wednesday was a very good day for college basketball. Get a date out there. You and I have been on the same page and optimistic about this for a number of weeks now that we will have a season. And I definitely believe that's going to happen, but I think it needs to be reinforced just how critical prominent and abundant testing is going to be to having a season that's just not completely stripped of its integrity. I mean, we talk here and the day started with the big 10 announcing (laughs) that it's going to return October 24th. And this comes less than a month after um, a statement was put out saying that the, the, the vote was definitive and they weren't playing in the fall. Well, that's now changed. And the only reason it's changed is because everything around the big Ten's capacity to have rapid response, practically everyday testing changed it. It's going to be no different from basketball. I've heard from plenty of people who say football's once a week, basketball, you can play, especially in like these MTEs, and if it gets crammed, you you might play literally five games in eight days to try and meet your non-conference quota if you can get it done at one site with an MTE and pluck off another team or two that just happens to be staying there in kind of a standalone improv game. Like, I personally think we might see Gonzaga and Baylor do, both in uh, Jimmy V, but not scheduled to play each other just yet. So, just keep all of that in mind. The advancement of testing and what schools can and cannot do that, I do think 
we are going to have a wonky non-conference season because of this, and it wouldn't stun me. I don't think we're heading there yet, Parrish, but it would not stun me if we get to the beginning of November and we come to learn, or maybe late October, and we come to learn that there's another conference or two, not even the Ivy because we know they're out, that just says, you know what, we're almost entirely out or we're out of non-conference. We're not comfortable yet. We can't afford it. We're going to wait to start our teams playing basketball in league play in January. Well, I'll tell you this. If you start making it a requirement to be tested three times a week. Um, if you're going to participate in the sport of college basketball, you, unless testing is much more uh, easily attainable and affordable by then, you're going to have leagues just opting out of it. Like if you start telling the Big South right now that you have to test three times a week, every member uh, of, of, of every team, uh, and staff member, or else you can't play college basketball. Like USC, Upstate, they would just okay. We're done then. Right. I mean, you know, if you look at the, at, at college football, it, it's the school, the the leagues that decided to play are the wealthiest, and the leagues that aren't playing are n- not in that same category. And though they all offer up different rationalizations for playing. The truth is that the SEC is playing because we've got the money to do it, and it's worth a lot of money. Um, same reason the Big Ten is going to try to do it now, and all of the Power Five conferences except for the Pac-12, and even they might go down that road before the fall is over. Um, the, the reason uh, the smaller football conferences aren't playing isn't because necessarily because they care more about the health of their student athletes than SEC uh, schools do, although you could make the argument that they might. It's because it's not worth as much money to play, and they don't have the money to try to pull it off. So this stuff does come down to finances, and that's why I'm not speaking in absolutes because who knows? We'll see. But I'd be surprised if the NCAA – actually says you can't play college basketball unless you test ABC. It, like you cannot, I don't think you're going to be able to ask Longwood to test the same way North Carolina does. And so what you might end up having instead is the North Carolinas of the world saying, listen, um, we're testing four times a week and before every game, but Longwood isn't. So we're going to play other schools like us and we're going to let Longwood play other schools like Longwood and uh, we'll see in the NCAA tournament at which point the NCAA takes over all testing so then everybody is tested equally I think you're going to see a scenario where the highest majors at least some of them and perhaps lots of them just have no interest in messing around with the smaller conferences strictly because of the different the the presumed differences in testing I have heard this I've heard angst and anxiety tied to this um and for those that might be curious about uh, the 14 days that got hacked off the start of the season, those that's now like that's not the season anymore. So if you're a fan of a team that had uh, however many games in that, 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 that you've been freed from that contractually, basically, it's it's not projected that that's going to be anything that any school that loses out on a potential buy game situation is going to have any grounds to stand on because the NCAA has made the decision that it's it's not permissible to play college basketball before November 25th. But I have heard a lot of angst about that. I mean, I've, I've heard stories about coaches at mid-majors getting really nervous really fast, calling up uh, the other head coach or you know the ops guy going, listen, man, I need to play this game. My athletic department absolutely needs to play this game against you. And the bigger school is like, 
we can't necessarily commit to this right now because we, at the time, you know, we don't know when the start date's going to be. We don't know how many non-conference games we're going to be able to play. You know, we, and if we can't host you and have fans and have a return on the gate and make a profit, like it's just not worth it. Now, having said that, it has been uplifting. And I, and I talked to, I didn't talk to, John Calipari directly, but I talked to two people who have talked to him uh, informally and kind of freely about this. John Calipari has been out there promoting this idea that it is on the power conference schools that can do this to at least look out for the smaller guys and help them here and there. So if you're Kentucky and you can get one or two games against mid-major opponents, like, freaking do it. Okay, because you what we don't want, and part of this is he's he's mentioned every time he's brought it up. His son now plays at Detroit, and he's in his final year there, and so I think some of that's informed by you know having his own family member um, uh, play up at UD and, and wanting to see him have something of a non conference season and be able to play. But it's great to see John Calipari be at the forefront of discussing this kind of thing. I don't know when we get to a better answer in a month from now, what these non-conference scouts are going to look like. I don't know how many of the little guys are going to be helped out. I think you've got a potential for a lot of mids playing mids and like pod situations end of November, but it kind of gets back to what I alluded to before GP uh, 10 minutes ago or so, because this, the decision has been made to start the season on November 25th. Um, we are just going to have an absolute cluster. I mean, a, cluster once this decision came in i mean i the phone just started going nuts with people talking about okay my mte just got canceled what am i going to do for games asking me questions i don't have answers to as it pertains to scheduling and whether teams that are going to play in mtes that are going to go to disney and play in orlando going to go to mohegan sun play in connecticut go to a few other spots i've heard of with cities potentially las vegas indianapolis louisville we'll have to see on down the line can they manage to cobble together games because what i think coaches want to do is if you tell them that they can go to a site and theoretically get five or six non-conference games done in eight or nine or ten days' time, they absolutely want to do that. They want the peace of mind knowing that if it's allowable, if their bosses say they can do it, that they would get the games done, just get them out of the way, even though it would be... It would be tight, if you will, for their players. Like, it's not an ideal situation, as opposed to having to worry about travel or the situations you referenced, Parrish, with, you know, scheduling X school from, from the Big South or the MEAC or the Southland or wherever and just avoiding that altogether. But what I think is inevitable, and I would love to be wrong on this, is be it through opt-outs or otherwise, I think it is inevitable that college basketball is going to have a situation where... You're going to have just a cluster of these teams over here, and those teams have fulfilled. They're going to get their 27 games in. They got it done, and then we're going to have this lumpiness where you're going to have an entire nation of programs just outright struggling to even get three of those games. And so while no one cares about most of these mid-majors and single-bid leagues, I get all that. Uh, An unfortunate byproduct of that is, well, that's still going to affect – Resumes, And so if we're trying to get everyone to play at least four non-conference games and at least get some decent balance with a non-conference season, it would be better if everyone could be accounted for. And I just don't see any way that's going to possibly happen. They're trying to make it happen, but there's only so many teams, so many games, so many spots with pods, so many doable, drivable bus games that you can improv at the last minute. And I just foresee a situation here where we look up in March. If we've been fortunate enough to have some teams play 25 or 26 games, we're going to have other teams that have played literally like 10 or 12 games. It's going to be a weird-looking season, and the decision today to not play on the 23rd and move these MTEs, I think just exacerbates that problem. 
Um, I would assume that you're going to look up and the smaller leagues that don't opt out, because I do think some will, the smaller leagues that don't opt out, you're going to see them scrambling to play each other to create non-league games. Because though the point you make about John Calipari is true, and I take John at his word, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's in the majority of high major coaches when it comes to his opinion that it's our job to take care of the little guys. Cause I talked to somebody who, um, you know, is, is on the level of a John Calipari, you know, works at a big school has been successful and his opinion was literally the exact opposite. He said, listen, I got people in my athletic department lost their jobs. You know, I've got staff members who have had to take pay cuts and he's like, I took a pay cut. I'm fine. You know, I make millions of dollars. I'm okay. But there are people who I work with, friends with, in this athletic department who lost their jobs. It is once we're, we're losing people in our athletic department, it is no longer our job to take care of the smaller schools. Like, it's not our responsibility. We need to look out for us right now because it's our people who are, you know, unemployed. And I think that's a pretty reasonable point of view. Like it might, I, I, I am, I hate it for the smaller schools. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative that they have John Calipari out there championing for them, but I can just tell you, John is um, it, it, not every high major coach falls in line with John on this one because uh, you know, I'll just keep it with this one coach I was talking to. He said, we've had, we've had to lay off people in our athletic department. Once we are laying off people in our athletic department, why is it our responsibility to pay $85,000 to a summit league team to come play us in front of no fans? That's that, that's no longer our responsibility. It, it's a valid, it's a valid thing without a doubt. And I think Cal is talking about, Potentially doing in that kind of situation where if you slice it in half, it's it's forty thousand or whatever. But also, if it, you can be do it at an, an MTV event, you make that happen. A couple quick things before we break and hit the other topic on the pod. Um, I will be interested to see, and I don't have any information on this yet. Uh, I will be interested to see if the season does indeed start with the Champions Classic. I think that it will. I've also been told that the teams in the Champions Classic are open to not a true round robin, but they are open to playing each other. Two, you know, two of the two of the three. So you've got Michigan State, Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky. And so, just hypothetically, I don't know the matchups off the top of my head, but Kentucky would be willing to play. You know, it could play Michigan State and Duke, but it wouldn't play Kansas, and and Kansas would play two of the other three. So just keep an eye yeah. on that, and we'll get into like next week. This old non-con, like what can happen, what this is going to unfortunately or fortunately like dominate, I think, our podcast conversations for the next month because we're going to have scheduling updates literally by the week, and you would not even believe the amount of frenzy that's happening behind the scenes trying to get all this stuff done. The other thing is I talked to Gavit about the tournament, and just an update here. You know, nothing has changed in terms of like they still want to hold this tournament with 68 teams in the middle of March at all 14 sites with fans in the building. Like, obviously, they are planning for other contingencies. Um, I did ask Gavit if he to estimate the possibility or the chance that it would be a 64 team tournament instead of 68 because this is a darling thing of mine. One year only, please let's do it. And, um, I think he refused to comment specifically on that. So I th- that to me, that's actually a little bit of a glimmer of a hope. But I do think there is still a possibility that we will start the season. This is based off the conversation I had with him tonight. I think we will start the season, as weird as this is, we will start the season and not know the format for the NCAA tournament. They would prefer that not to be the case, and there might be 
a reaffirmation, 68 teams, here's what we think we can do. But they're working on a number of contingencies with, with, with locations, reducing them, sizes, but the people are making those discussions right now, it's very limited and it is super-duper private because you don't want to give any kind of false hope to any potential city or any potential format that just doesn't come to be. So they're going to try and keep as tight a lid on that as possible. But when we talk about a start date, everyone wants to know about, okay, is the tournament still going to be where it is? That is the absolute plan. They'll be prepared to move it back as necessary. But um, I lean more toward right now that we will have this tournament in March. The only way that changes, in my opinion, is if the season doesn't start until January, and then I think they'd be willing to move it back. Right. Um, and it's fine to start the season and not know exactly how you're going to handle your postseason. Major League Baseball did it. They started the season. They were like, you know what? Let's just have like a, yeah. uh, eight teams from each league be the postseason. They were already like deep, relatively deep into the season. So it's fine. Um, but if I were advising Dan, get those contingency plans ready. I I, I agree with you, Parrish, and man, I'd love to see 64 personally. That's just, you know, well, I'll save it for another podcast, but I, I think just, you know, why why just, why add another site? Why do Dayton? Why add those teams? Just, you know, do 64. Who even knows if we're going to have all these conferences play league games? Maybe they will, but we might have one or two conferences just wind up bailing this year, you know? So, I don't know. Keep that in mind. It, it should be noted, for whatever it's worth, the um, director of the CDC earlier today said that his estimation is that we will we should have a vaccine readily available for americans um third quarter 2021 so the idea that we would be able to put fans in ncaa tournament venues in march seems uh, um unlikely you know not and that's not my opinion it's like that's based on what i listened to the head of the cdc say earlier today so that when i say get those contingency plans ready it's not because i'm like out on a limb here it's because um you know the head of the cdc is probably would probably tell you uh, the same thing today was also um, a significant day for the all vote no play movement we're going to get into that next but first check this out majors down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Himmelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Pick 6 NFL Podcast has been with you every single weekday of the offseason, and often more than that, depending on emergency podcast. Now with football season here, you can expect an even greater frequency of podcasts in your feed. Getting like up to eight. He's going to eight, baby. We'll offer game recaps immediately after the final whistle, gambling and fantasy previews to win you money, the Brady Quinn football show, pow, 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 and of course, our patented emergency episodes. Whenever something crazy happens around the league, there is no NFL audio experience that is as comprehensive as pick six. 
download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. So, listen, the big headline from Wednesday was the scheduled start date for the season, November 25th, the recommended number of non-league games for the maximum number of games you can play in the season, 27 if you're in a multi-team event. But there was another thing that was settled today, and that is that all activities are going to be halted on the first Tuesday after November 1st each year. It's an election day, and it's a way to demonstrate the importance of of election day to the student athletes. And that um, I I think in most people's opinions, I hope in most people's minds is a positive thing, but I I didn't want to end this podcast without at least shining a light on that because um, it's a, it's an important thing and something that was spearheaded by um, Eric Reveno, the, the assistant coach at Georgia tech. Yeah, he it was on June 3rd of this year, and it was uh, a tweet that basically came out of George Floyd's murder and then, you know, a widespread protest and renewed calls for social justice, anti-racism, um, and, you know, really launched a second civil rights movement that we are still living through on a, on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis. And Reveno basically just said, like, you know, when we talk about all this and, and, and the importance of voting, having your voice heard, everyone's voice heard, like in the NCAA, you just we shouldn't have any activities on these days. Like we sh- it should be a day where everyone, players, coaches, administrators, all staff, they vote. We don't have any activity, no games, no practices, none of that mandated. And instead, just take the day and make sure that people vote. And it wasn't just like that sentiment alone, like. Did a lot of research, showed trend lines where the amount of people between the ages of 18 and 24 that are voting have regularly dropped and declined like every single election since the 1970s. And so with all of that, it was historic. I mean, it is to me, it's the most important thing that was passed on Wednesday, even though in the context of the here and now, as we're talking about a start date for college basketball, you know, they did stuff with college football and having the FCS championships. It's sort of like a footnote with all that um, in the here and now, but this is the long lasting thing. There is a uh, one thing to know is if, if you scheduled a game in any NCAA sport this season to be played on November 3rd, election day this year, and that game was agreed to before mid July, the game can still be played if it so chooses. And Oh, by the way, when Reveno did this, there was a huge Huge push across college athletics to the point where, you know, so many schools basically decided that this was going to be the case. And that's all well and fine. But now this is something that's on the record books. And I was told was like pretty much the quickest thing discussed on Wednesday during the D1 council meeting. Like there was no there was no debate. It was just kind of here's what it is. Everyone kind of agrees this makes most sense going forward. The first Tuesday after the first Monday, every November, particularly in, in federal election years, but every election, every November when there's uh, meaningful election stuff, this is this is not going to be accountable day toward athletic activities. And so credit to uh, to Eric Reveno, former head coach uh, up at Portland, uh, former assistant at Stanford during their heyday and now working on Josh Passner staff at Georgia Tech to make this happen it is something that you'd have to believe will be one of those rules that uh, that never changes you know as long as the NCAA exists Paris this is this is going to be there I think so and it's a great thing because I believe the studies do show that if you vote when you're young you will vote when you're old you will continue to vote like once you become a part of the process you remain for the most part a part of the process if you're not a voter when you're young there's a good chance you'll never be a voter and 
So this is a way to stress to young people um, how important this is. I mean, you know, basketball coaches, all they, all they think about is basketball. Like, and the idea that they could sit down with their players and, and say, honestly, hey, this is so important, this thing that we're asking you to do that we are not even going to deal with basketball at all today. we got a season coming up. we got a championship we're trying to win. But on this day, we're going to wake up, do our online classes, and we're not weightlifting. We're not getting shots up. We're not, um, we're not practicing or organizing in any way on a court. We're going to get up. We're going to get our schoolwork done. We're going to go vote, and then we're going to watch democracy unfold in real time. Like We're going to enjoy this and, and, and participate in this. Now, the wild thing is that – this is going to be an election day, like no election day of my lifetime, because all of the analysts, or at least most of the analysts, seem to suggest that there's a very good chance we will not know who won the election on the night of the election because of all of the mail-in ballots. That's, that's a good point here. I want, to, uh, I want to play you something just to see how much things have changed in the past four years. Parish, tell me if you remember when, when this went down and, uh, and how people responded to it at the time. Well, to be honest with you, I didn't even know yesterday was election day. Um, so it was so important to me that I didn't even know it was happening. Um, we're focused on other things here. Uh, I don't really make political comments. Um, so if I say I like one person, that means that everybody that voted for the other person doesn't like me. So why, why would I do that? Um, you know, I want what's best for our country. I'm not sure I can figure that out. Uh, I want what's best for, you know, people who want to improve the quality of their life. Um, and I hope whoever our leader is uh, will certainly do all that he can do to make our country safe and improve the quality of life. A lot of the people, you know, that we have in our country, and I don't think I'm qualified to determine, you know, who that should be. Okay, that's Nick Saban. Sure. Four years ago. You remember that story, GP? I, I do. And I do remember him. Like, he got ripped by some people for that. And he should. But, uh, but, uh, are you going to defend him? Because he should be. Because that. Is, no, no, no. I'm not going to defend okay. him. I thought it was ridiculous okay. and embarrassing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I thought it was embarrassing. Like a grown man who is a leader of young men and who says, I didn't even know it was election day. First off, that's got to be a lie. Like, yeah. I just don't. There, there's, it's impossible to not know it's election day. Like, my six year old will know when it's election day. So, first off, I think it's a lie. And, and, and then secondly, it just, it's a bad message to send. I mean, you are Nick Saban, the most prominent person in the state of Alabama, the leader of young people, and you put no importance on election day, which sends a certain type of message. I do remember people ripping him then. It wasn't like across the board, like Nick Saban had to come back and apologize the next day. I will say this. If a coach said that exact same thing this time, he would get ripped across the board. Yes. And, and he would deserve to. And I... I don't know if I ripped him on the podcast then, but I remember this is four years ago when, by the way, it was Trump, okay, going up against Hillary Clinton and having the most polarized election we've ever had up until the one now we're, we're leading up to now. And it's it's not funny. It's not cute. I got nothing against Nick Saban, but, like, there's been this, like, oh, he's, like, an old man who doesn't have email. Dude, it's 2020. Like, he finally admitted, I think, a month ago that his wife was like, I'm not doing this anymore. You're going to get your own damn emails at this point. You know, for someone that is this supposedly great coach, leader of men, it, sounds a to- it sends a total clown message. I didn't think it was 
interesting, cute, or funny then. To, to this idea, and I believe I'm with you. It's a lie. There's no way you couldn't have known in the moment that that day was election day. So I only bring it up to say, look how far we've come. In four years' time, no coach would ever dare say that again, nor should they. And 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 going forward, I think coaches across the board have taken more responsibility to their roles when it comes to these kinds of issues because this goes back to the fact that you've got rich white men, more often than not, coaching black men that come from backgrounds with not a lot of privilege overcome a lot there and they aren't identifying with them beyond sort of being the coach and trying to make them a better man through the prism of sports only the conversation has gotten much wider deeper more mature than that particularly this year it's been accelerated which is great and all this ties into what Reveno tweeted about what we saw happen on Wednesday this is a good thing you want an informed educated voting body no matter who you're voting for okay because when we talk about all these injustices that people want to want to write and change the change the direction of our country so many things that have to do with racial prejudice are reinforced by the people that we elect to our government and that is reinforced all the more when the electorate is not as informed or they're lazy or they didn't know there was a there was an election day so all of this stuff comes in to our lives on an everyday basis, and it was a great day for the NCAA, and I look forward to Nick Saban talking about how he did know it was Election Day and he did vote this year. And we can close on this. Um, Every time I tweeted about this in the past, the all vote, no play movement, I'll have somebody reply with, oh, would they be doing this if it wasn't President Trump? And the answer to that question is probably no. I do think it is at least loosely tied to President Trump. Um, you know, there, there are other factors here, the George Floyd murder being a, a, a big uh, uh, launching point for a whole lot of things in this country. But do I think this would be the movement it's become if not for the person in the White House right now? No, I don't think so. Um, but, but what I will say, and, and I respect the, the, these coaches who fall into the category I'm about to describe, not every college basketball coach voted for Hillary Clinton and not every college basketball coach is going to vote for Joe Biden. And so some of these coaches that are leading these movements, registration um, uh, gatherings and, uh, and, and, you know, already committing to taking off election day, even before the NCAA mandated it, they are largely, creating a situation where the majority of their players, especially when it comes to basketball, are going to vote a certain way in this election, which is the opposite way they're going to vote in this election. And yet, you know, because I, I know who these guys are. I, I wouldn't out them. It's weird that you, you could out uh, a, a, a somebody who votes a certain way in an election. It could be like the worst thing for them. Right. But like, I know who these guys are. And, and, they would never publicly acknowledge that they vote for President Trump. I mean, look what happened to Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. He wore an OAN shirt, and like, like that was a big problem for him. And a college basketball coach publicly supporting the current president of the United States right now. And for anybody listening, I don't care what you think of the president or how you're going to vote. I'm just speaking in factual stuff here. A college basketball coach publicly supporting the current president would be a real problem for him in his locker room and, 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 and perhaps – 
um, in a variety of ways when it comes to, to recruiting. So you'd never get them to acknowledge it publicly. Never. You get plenty of people to acknowledge they're going to vote for Joe Biden publicly. You wouldn't get any. I don't think you could get a college basketball coach to publicly acknowledge he's going to vote for President Trump. My point is this, though. They are working to create voters for the person they don't want to win. And um, I, I just found that interesting. Like I see some of these coaches do these drives, registration drives, and, and I go, well, of course that guy's doing the drive. Like I know, I know where he stands politically. I know what he's about. But then I see some coaches doing the registration drives and vote, 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 and they aren't going to vote the same way that their players vote. And I've just I've found that to be an interesting dynamic here. I, and you know what? That's how it should be. Um, and, yeah, I mean – to anyone listening to podcasts, vote however you want to vote. That's the, that's the very essence of living in this country here. Okay, so uh, as long as we are encouraging everyone to fulfill that duty, I think that's a I think that's a great thing. And yeah, today was a was a was a very historic day. Um, as we wrap, I did neglect to mention one more thing. You mentioned recruiting; it popped in my head. Recruiting visits and is is a dead period now officially as of today until the end of the year. By the way, so for those that uh, are really invested in who your teams recruit. That's going to continue in a virtual sense. We're talking no visits at all, like not not even sneaking into the campus for an off, you know, for an unofficial. None of that's going to be allowed. Now, might you have a staff or two try and make it happen? Absolutely, I think that's going to be the case. You're going to have trying people try and break the rules there, but it is technically not allowed to at least January one, and the consequences of that will be figured out in the years to come based on who goes where and who was over recruited and under recruited. But that that is something that is making a lot of noise today in college basketball. That's not you know top item A, B, or C, but the fact that this is not going to be doable until at least January 1. At least. It might even be after that is a is a significant thing for the program you root for as it tries to build a class for 21, 22, and 23. Let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry and Meffin Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thanks, you guys, for listening once again to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of a horrific pandemic. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell one person about it. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. So knock that out if you can. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Amazon Prime Day is coming, and CNET has tons of tips and tricks to help you make the most of the big event. Find out which items are on sale and how you can make sure you're getting the very best prices. First, head to the Cheapskate blog at cnet.com cheapskate, where you'll find all the latest Prime Day deals. Then, subscribe to the Cheapskate Show podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Our latest episode shares the secrets of saving big during the Prime Day extravaganza. Welcome to Office Hours, a podcast presented by College Fashionista. It's your host, Amy Levin Klein here. Today's guest is Jamie Mizrahi, the new creative director of Juicy Couture and celebrity stylist. Get ready for some behind-the-scenes information about some of the most desirable positions in fashion and Jamie's tips on breaking into the industry. Okay, cool. So let's jump right in. Um, I'm here with Jamie. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Um, We have such a big fall coming up, and I'm sure fall is super busy for you as well. So it's kind of um, the perfect 
time to chat and give our listeners and our students some inspiration as they head back to campus. Let's start with where yeah. where you went to college and what you studied. I went to college at the George Washington University in um, Washington, D.C., and I actually studied sociology, which doesn't really play into fashion, but at the time I had always interned in fashion and, and worked in fashion and had an interest in it, but there was nothing at the school that focused on that. And I really wanted a four-year college experience. So to me, sociology felt interesting and definitely components of it played a part in just life. And I think what's great about college is that it prepares you for everything and anything. And in the summers, I was able to focus primarily on fashion and what I really wanted to do. Did you feel like being at a school in D.C. and not, you know, necessarily New York was a setback in any way for for getting ahead in your your career? I think that at the time I lived in New York, my family lived in New York and I spent every summer in New York. So to get out of New York was really nice. I do think a lot of the kids I went to school with were from New York and a lot of the relationships I had were in New York. So luckily when school would end and when we'd go on break, I still nurtured those relationships in Manhattan right. and was able to navigate good internships and, and meetings and experiences. It was so close to the city that there were weekends that I would go back on a Thursday night and come home on a Monday. Yeah. You kind so, of got like the best of both. Yeah. And I love, I mean, Washington is amazing. I mean, there's such a political culture. It was right when Obama was being elected, we were there. And it's really, I mean, to me, it was really cool to live in a place that has such a history and a place that I didn't think I'd ever live again for the rest of my life, which is probably true. Yeah, for sure. So as far as your internships go, tell me a little bit more about that. What were some of your experiences that you had during during your college summers? I mean, I started working probably when I was 14. I worked at a ton of clothing stores, so I'd work at Scoop. I worked at Intermix. I worked for, randomly, I worked for a jewelry manufacturing company that did the manufacturing for a ton of jewelry lines. So I kind of like saw how that happened. And then I also worked for this brand called AKA that was these, that were these two young girls in New York that were starting a clothing line. So I got to see how that happened. And then I worked for Elle magazine one summer and I worked for niche media, which was like Hamptons magazine and those kind of magazines. And then what else did I do? So, so I kind of rotated between, like, I know my internship at L was during the week. And then I would go to the Hamptons on the weekends and work at a clothing store. So I was always kind of very eager to meet people and understand all aspects of the industry. And I think doing that, doing both things where I made commission selling clothes and understanding customers and understanding designers and how the retail industry works. And then also working more behind the scenes in editorial and the magazine industry, which was way different than it is now. Yeah. was great experience. I think that people don't place enough value on retail experience 
and how much you can learn from from working retail. And just like you, I also had retail experience and I find that so many things that I do now in my role, I kind of look back at my experience there and have learned and grown so much from it. So it's just so overlooked. A lot of our students, when you know they're talking about their internships or their jobs, that's like last on the list. But you kind of just summarized it, you know, wonderfully. That like you learn so many different things that you don't even realize when you're in that role. Yeah, I think it's super important to understand real people and real consumers and kind of be able to communicate with all types of people. I think that really prepared me for any role because there were people that were difficult. Just so many things helped prepare me without me knowing or yeah. being a stylist, which I didn't even know at the time I was, was a profession that you could be, but I definitely think it gives you patience and understanding to be in the service industry. Yeah. So what was your first job out of college? My first job out of college was working. My first, well, I worked at this place, Albright Fashion Library, which was a place that it was a rental, a huge rental clothing place in New York that rented clothing to stylists and celebrities and you would come and do fittings. And I mean, it's been around forever, but it's probably the first of its kind. And now there's things that have followed since. And through that, I met a stylist, Elizabeth Folter, who I then went and worked for, for a few months. And then a job at Vogue magazine came up and I went and worked there for probably, I want to say like, almost a year until I moved to L.A. And what was your role at Vogue? Were you doing styling there as well or editorial? No, Vogue was actually events. And it was because I was working for a stylist. And styling is not a nine-to-five job. It's not a job that I think at the time my parents understood or I even understood because it's not a consistent salary. It's, It's not the same as working for a corporation or or a real business especially at the time it wasn't it's more freelance and and jobs come and go and not having stability kind of worried me especially right out of college I was like I need need a desk job I need to experience what that feels like so when a job came up at Vogue and it was an event I was like you know what let me try this experience and I was still around clothes and fashion But ultimately, I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. However, I met great people and I was in that culture for a good amount of time to be able to say, okay, I experienced it. I know what it's like. And I think I want to go back to styling. So it's almost like the best thing that happened to you. It gave you clarity. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's good to try things you don't really like as well, just so that you can be clear on what you do want to do. If I had just continued styling... I wouldn't know anything else. Yeah. We see a lot of jumping around with students right out of college. So I think there's like this fine balance of testing things out, but like giving it enough time to really figure out if you like it or don't like it. And then, yeah, once you come to that decision, trying something else. But I do think that the jumping around like so frequently, it's hard to really grasp a role or a company or, you know, what that position entails. But you kind of set yourself up great with, like, your your different experiences. So after Vogue, you went back to styling. Did you go on your own then or did you go back to working for someone? No, I actually went and I worked for – I moved to L.A. for my my now husband. But 
at the time I was like, there's, there's a ton of freelance stylists in LA and he knew a bunch of them. And I figured I'd kind of see what that was like out here and out here it's way more celebrity than editorial. So at the time I just did freelance for probably four different stylists on big commercial jobs and what I do now, basically, but I worked for a few other stylists. I worked for Petra Flannery. I worked for Simone Harris, just like a few different people. And then um, this woman, Cassandra Gray, was who now started Violet Gray. Yep. I don't know if you know what Violet Gray is, but yep. it's a beauty e-commerce site. Well, at the time, she wanted to have this styling kind of wardrobe studio in L.A., and she needed a full-time stylist. So... She essentially wanted to bring in brands from New York and help curate movie stars' identities with fashion. And so I went on and worked for her, and I was the stylist at that studio. So there I worked with Ava Mendez and Rosie Huntington and a bunch of people just kind of helping curate their everyday style and for events. That's awesome. So eventually, after some time it evolved into beauty instead because we were doing photo shoots and it incorporated everything it was clothes beauty hair you know it was it was every aspect of the industry so when it turned into beauty I grew up with my dad doing cosmetic packaging my whole life so I like have been in the beauty world since I was very little and I knew that's not what I wanted to do at the time so I said to Cassandra, I was like, I don't want to continue working here. So I actually went to FIBM for, I was supposed to go for two years. And then Ava Mendez was doing a movie with Ryan Gosling called Place Beyond the Pines. And she called me and was like, will you be my stylist for this and for the press tour for me and Ryan? And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And I was in school learning how to sew and learning how to pattern make and do all that. And I left school and went and on the press tour. So that was probably the first, that was the first client I had. That's incredible. So it's like right time, right place. Yeah. It just all kind of fell into space. How do you now, like coming to present day, because I know, you know, anyone who follows you knows that you have an incredible kind of list of celebrity clients that you style. How do you kind of separate your own personal style from what's best for your clients when it comes to like putting looks together? I think it depends on their personal style, their personality, what project they're working on, where they're promoting their movie or whatever they're promoting, what other businesses they have. So I have a lot of clients that have other kind of businesses. So I kind of take into consideration are they a businesswoman are they young in their 20s trying to be fashionable and get a get a fashion campaign you know like everyone has different everyone's at a different place in their life and everyone's promoting different things and everyone has a different lifestyle so I try and take that into consideration I think that's why clients typically stay with one stylist because it's understanding and learning their personality yeah to make sure that it doesn't feel like they're wearing someone else's clothes so that's where like your sociology degree comes into play because it's all about understanding people I think so, maybe <laughs> a little bit yeah 
And you also recently got named the creative director of Juicy Couture, which is incredible. They were actually our first advertising partner. So I have like a very soft spot for, for that brand. How has transitioning oh, into no that? Way. Yeah, I'll have to send you. You'll love to see the things we've done with. But how oh, so has fun. been transitioning into that position been, and how is it different from your role as a stylist? I mean, it's been great. It's so awesome that I'm able to do both. I think that that's a really special thing that I can make them both work together and and take things from styling and use it with Juicy and from Juicy and use it with styling and kind of take on this other role where I'm learning about different things that I don't typically learn about in my everyday styling career. So, I mean, design, I mean, there's a massive team at Juicy. It's production. It's understanding skew counts and different territories that we sell to. So understanding customers in Asia and customers overseas and, and what people want in the world, staying in with the trends and what's going on in the world and just kind of being up on it in all different ways. So luckily it all plays a role in each other. Yeah. Do you find that you are able to balance your time like evenly with both or it just depends on the season and the moment where one takes priority over the other? It totally depends. And luckily it's organic and and it works because of the support I have on each team, Yeah, on my styling team and on the Juicy team. So when we're doing a show and a new collection's coming out and we're going through protos and have deadlines on the Juicy side, listen, sometimes styling's crazy at the same time and I just have to try and manage them both. But I have assistance in styling and I have assistance at Juicy where it's manageable, especially because I love it. Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't feel like work all the time. That's the best kind of work. So it comes natural to me. Yeah. What did it feel like watching your first collection go live? I mean, it was, it was so, it was so incredible. I mean, also I learned so much and realized how much work it is for these fashion brands and these designers and I have so much I mean I've always had respect for them but since being involved in it I like don't know how people do it and take <laughs> on that responsibility yeah it's so much work it, it seems so like work, a lot of work you don't realize yeah you don't realize what goes into that I mean every single part is important yeah I'm always amazed at Chanel and their productions they put on because, you know, we do a lot of events with college fashionistas that are nowhere near the same level as their events. And just like looking at their events, I'm like, the amount of hours that go into these type of things. What a cool experience that you're able to juggle both and kind of see it from both both perspectives. Yeah, being able to experience it and then also being able to curate it is really, really, really fun and exciting. And it's just cool to be able to see it from both sides because not everyone's able to. No, for sure. So my last question is, if you could go back to college and give yourself advice, what would it be? It would probably be not to beat myself up over every little thing that 
doesn't go as planned or when I make mistakes, not to beat myself up and take them as learning experiences. Because there were so many times that I would write an email wrong or I would go into a job and not feel like I did it right or, or be told I didn't do it right. And instead of, obviously, you learn to learn from that. But at first, I would always beat myself up and be like, why didn't I, why didn't I know that? Why didn't I know? And the truth is, you don't know anything. And that's the reason that you take these jobs and experiences and internships and learn from people who do know, because it just, it just helps you later in life. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not expecting yourself to have to know how to do everything because no one's expecting that of you. In fact, let people train you and guide you and set the way for you because you come out of college and you think, oh, I have to like pretend to be an adult and, and know what I'm doing in any industry I get thrown into. And the truth is you don't, but if you pay attention and you watch what people are doing and you learn from professionals and people have been doing it, then you pick up so much. Yeah. And keep all your relationships. All your relationships are so important, whether it's a good experience or a bad experience. You never want to have bad blood with, I mean, in my opinion, anyone. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly within the industry you're in, it's too small. And yeah, who knows where things go and who becomes the CEO of what company. So I'm with you on that. Like, it's so true. kindness you, is key. You work with people and then, yeah, and then they come back in your life and you're like, oh my God, we worked together 10 years ago when we were interns and now you're helping each other get their clothing line on your clients. And it, it just, it's funny how many people that I've just known forever because of interning together, working together, going to college together. And it's really helpful to have friendly faces in this industry and any industry, I think. I'm with you. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. It's so nice talking to you. And I'm so excited to see everything you do this fall and the best thing is that you're having a baby. So we're so excited for you. And I really appreciate your time. You too. I'm so excited for, for you too. Thank you. The babies of fall 2018. There's so many of them. So many. Thanks, Jamie. Okay, bye. Thanks, Jamie, for joining us on Office Hours. I'd love to hear your story and hope you, our listener, enjoyed it as well. Catch you all next month. Bye. here if you have any questions suggestions or feedback head over right now to twitter and facebook and like share and get involved join us next time